This is The Unholy Union. A podcast where you'll be subjected to highly offensive marital discourse. If you do not feel insulted during this week's episode, don't worry, we'll try harder next week. If you can relate to our ramblings, we want to be friends with you. If you believe that we take it too far or our mouths are too much for you, then with as much love and sincerity as we can muster, you can suck it. Welcome to The Unholy Union. Okay, so we have a special guest today. Someone that we do not know personally yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this gentleman has accomplished so much, has so much going on for him. I can't wait to jump into all this, but let's start with his intro. So Justin Bizarro is a serial food, restaurant, technology, media, and marketing entrepreneur who helped build a 24-year-old group of food and restaurant-related businesses he created with his father and business partners out of his family's basement in 1998. He's a highly desired business management, personal and athlete growth, free market, food and diversity, and entrepreneurial, you can get that word out, (laughs) leadership speaker. Justin's expertise are in human growth, motivation, leadership, and management development, health foods, beverages, global lean manufacturing facilities, vertically integrating businesses. Justin also received his BA in International Business and Management from Dickinson College in 2002 and his MBA from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in 2014. Woo! What? And me personally, when we got uh, your intake form and wanted to be on the show, I went through and started looking at all of your accomplishments and all the things that you're involved in. And not just your intro, but the things that you are doing are fast. Yeah. <laughs> You're in so much. How, how do you have time for to, uh, to do anything? <laughs> it's, I started when I was 18. So, well, I probably started being an entrepreneur when I was a kid, mowing lawns and stuff for sure. My parents taught me business. I grew up on a farm. Uh, that's just one of the things I think you just learn to handle your workload differently on a farm. Like it, the animals got to live. So, you, you oh, know. Yeah want to play soccer and you want to go to school you you got to help out on the farm you know it's just one of those things and my parents always if you want things you got to have your own money you got to determine it for yourself so i was very young i couldn't even touch the pedals of the tractor when i started mowing lawns uh, for my parents on the farm i just knew that i wanted to do it and they offered me money they taught me business at a very young age, how to lease the tractors from them and use that. And they would go get the gasoline and stuff. And they taught me how to run a business and what a cash flow statement looked like, the income statement, what what a uh, balance sheet looked like at a very young age. So it just kind of just stuck. Um, and then by the time I was 14 years old, it was on to fruit stands and produce stands and things like that to to sell fruits and vegetables on the side of the road. And by the time I was 16, we had four of them all around Maryland, uh, the Northern DC area. And it just sort of happened. So to really answer your question, I don't really know any different. It's always (laughs) been doing, trying to do things. And then by the time I was 18, just by weird coincidence, I broke my foot uh, and I was having too much time on my hands that summer and I wasn't playing soccer which was what I was doing. I would go over to Europe to play soccer every summer uh, oh, wow. with a bunch of, yep. And so in doing that and breaking my foot, I had a lot of time on my hands. And next thing you know, a, a company was started out of my parents' basement with, with the help of my father, of course, who also 
has experience in food and and did airline food all over the world and built 122 kitchens across oh, wow. the world doing airlines. Uh, it's in the blood. <laughs> it was Marriott, but spinoff and then called Cater Air. Now it's owned by Sky Chef. So, uh, but the airline feeding business has changed quite a bit over since 2001. Sorry, 9-11. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what very- about, did, did COVID affect that at all too? Because airlines were kind of squashed yeah, a mean, little bit. Yeah, we weren't, we aren't in the airline food. We were an airport food at that. Oh, okay. We impact, impact us. But as of 1996, my father was 97. My father was out of the airline food business. And oh, okay. uh, yeah, so that sort of was, he got into real estate and stuff like that. And then I sort of dragged him back into food, I guess, in 1998. Or he dragged me into food with him, however you want to look at that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. He started it, right? Yeah. yeah. No. yeah. Well, I mean, to that point, a common theme throughout your background seems to be food related. Where does the passion come from and how do you continue it? Obviously, it stems from your parents, but it seems like you went all in. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's two things. One is even as a kid, even though I didn't know what the word was, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I just I didn't go with I didn't fit in. That was the word I would use. I more or less belonged like, and it was always with older people and it was always in business settings. And it was just something that I was attracted to. And food was the vehicle by which I would do it It, and mowing lawns, things like that. And, but really the passion comes from like, I, I don't have fear. It's a weird thing. I just don't have a lot of fear in life. Things don't scare me. Heights, roller coasters, jumping out of an airplane stuff doesn't scare me. But I have one huge fear, which is dying without significance or accomplishing everything I wanted to. You know, I don't know if significance is the right word, but significance in that, not that I need to be known in that, that I didn't make the world a better place than I found it. And so weird I don't know. It was a seed that was planted to me from the day I was born. I, I just, from the day I can remember, I remember this overwhelming feeling of not wanting to die without having made a difference or having accomplished something or living a good life and, and having good relationships and stuff like that. So that's the real drive there. It's what keeps me going, I think, is that fear. I also would say it's just... I don't know. I like doing what I do. I like being busy. I like having purpose, for lack of a better term. I like moving forward. And that really, there's days that I don't want to, for sure. I'm just like any other. Um, But for some reason, I don't know how not to. You know, I don't know how to take a day off. And uh, I don't know how to hit pause. I mean, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But Generally, it takes, I don't know how to describe it, but if you're really present in every moment, even with your family and even with your business and even with that, it becomes a real motivator because you're able to just make time for everything. And in order in, in order to do that, you have to cherish every moment. So one of the, mo- one of the things also is this, it's almost like FOMO, fear of missing out, but it's not uh-huh. in going out to the bars or going out partying, like I would say, it's more or less like, I don't want to miss moments in business or family or opportunities that could help me or my family, or the people that work for me or 
my future or my family's future. My family's pretty important to me. So things like that, I I would say. Yeah. And one of the things that you said is that fear of not making an impact, right? Or not leaving the world in a better place than you found it, essentially. What does that look like for you? What is, I guess, success yeah. <laughs> look like for you? How are you measuring that? Measuring that based on your business. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good question. I used to think it was monetary. Like when I was growing up, I used to feel like money meant a lot. Um, yeah. But money has not proven to make relationships better for me. Uh, it doesn't sometimes make businesses better while it's an indicator of of doing well in life. And it depends on the definition of it. And it's more like, I would describe it more like a trophy. You win it some days, you lose it others. And you're, you win championships, you lose it. But I would say the thing of success really is peace of mind. I any other way in that peace of mind, like it being able to live a good life, being able to do the right things, being able to afford freedom and independence to make those decisions. Uh, however that looks, it doesn't always, money doesn't buy you that. Um, your actions buy you that, your character buys you that. So as I've gotten older, I'm 43 now, I would say in some great highs, some low lows, of course, as any entrepreneur goes through, or any person in life, I would say, depending on, you know, and your risk is always how low the low is and how high the high is. That's yeah. just life. And so I would definitely say that success for me is based on my support system. Who are the people I'm surrounded by? Who are the people I'm attracting into my life right now? If I'm doing things wrong or I'm not being successful, that circle or the people that are coming into my life or the businesses that I have are not doing well culturally. They're not doing well with the personalities in there. And I try to live by principles over personalities, by everything in my circles, in my businesses. And, and what I mean by that, just as an example to the, to the audience, is if I'm a meat eater and I have someone who's a vegetarian, well, there could be different reasons we are those things. But if the principle is we're trying to do better for this world and better for the animals on it, okay, we align in principle that we should, we align so I can see us working together. But if, if it, they don't align and it's more personality based, based on that there's not a purpose behind it and not a principle behind it, it's very hard for those for to find success in a business and friendship and relationships as a couple raising kids, you name it. If you don't have that overall purpose, and I, and I see that a lot today, a lot of people get into relationships, a lot of people start businesses, but they don't ultimately have a purpose of what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and for me, like to go back to it, it's to make that impact. Uh, food is just, again, a vehicle, a major vehicle to better this world or better this planet. If we we eat properly, if we we make food properly, if those of us in, who are food entrepreneurs realize that we make huge impact and influence in the world and our legacy. So success to me is influence and impact too. Who's my, who am I helping? Who am I supporting? What are the differences being made? Are we actually moving the needle on bettering this world in terms of food or hope or kindness or love or spirituality, uh, things like that? So it's a really big <laughs> answer. <laughs> no, it's no, good. that was awesome. We got a lot of good sound bites, I think. <laughs> but, uh, 
But it's one of those things that I feel like over time it snowballed for me. And over time, that definition of success has gotten larger because as humans, we start to realize, and I heard a statistic the other day that even in the the most introverted person still impacts and influences 10,000 people in their lifetime. Wow. Yeah. So that's that, awesome. But the thing there is it doesn't say whether it's good or bad. Right? True. So that's where it's like, how do I do it in a positive way? And there is the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's, it's finding that balance. It's finding that balance and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to upset people. And a lot of people aren't going to like you. And I think that that's the thing, especially if you make them feel uncomfortable and they're not ready to feel uncomfortable. So that's part of it. And this is my last part, I would say, on on the answer. Success is also defined in my pursuit. If I am constantly pursuing growth and the uncomfortability of it, I'm in a successful situation. Because like the as humans, I feel like whether we realize it or not, we need to keep growing just because our education stops or our formal education, we get some of us stop learning. We stop growing. We stop reading. We stop doing whatever we or or listening, whatever. I think podcasts is a great way to grow for sure. But for me, if I'm in a state of not growing, I do feel unsuccessful in my life. I feel um, I can get frustrated. I can be emotional in those states like weirdly uh, i can feel unstable for sure and, uh, it's like if i'm not moving i'm not growing and if i'm not moving and growing and living you're dying for me yep. like yeah. and that goes to that fear again of living life to the fullest because one i don't ever know when it's going to end no one does i learned that on a farm at a at a whim anything bad can happen anything good can happen and god works in different ways but at the same time you just you need to be prepared. And if you think that you have a lifetime, you don't. So make as much impact now and start compounding that impact and that influence and your character I, and leading by example. So other people, again, are attracted to it. I don't, I think a lot of people try to promote themselves. I think truly as humans, we attract things. We lead well when we are doing well, you know, so long-winded oh, no, no, I, like no it. I think that speaks directly to your passion and everything that you are involved in is a clear depiction of everything you just described. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think to your point, being stagnant in life is really bad for mental health. Yes. It, I think that was part of, I don't know if you listened to our OCD episodes, but I went through a really bad bout of mental illness and Truthfully, I think a lot of it had to do with me being at a job where I was just coasting and not reaching for something better. I used to have before that a lot of drive. Like I would bounce jobs to get promoted, but I stopped. (laughs) I got super comfortable and then all of a sudden my mind broke. But I do think trying to, to push forward constantly is really good for the human mind. And our next question is you, you actually kind of prompted this one with one of your Instagram posts. It was, I read it and I read it more than once and I'm like, holy crap. But what do you believe is the biggest struggle for the American consumer regarding our food consumption? Oh, that's a good one. Um, 
Well, it's it's access to diversity of foods. One, I think that that's if we're really going to talk about humans and what we need. Again, I was in health food hospitals, grocery stores, direct to consumer, athlete meals, restaurants, but a lot of it was health based. But particularly in healthcare, we were trying to locally source everything in 350 miles of each one of our facilities. The food would come in today. We or this morning we produce it today. It would then go out on our trucks tonight for lunch and dinner tomorrow and breakfast the following day if it were hospitals, which was our major clients for 24 years. And locally sourcing took a while. We had to build those systems. We had to build that infrastructure because the volume of food we were doing in institutions, you know, I'm including we did universities and we did schools and we did uh, gas stations or or rest stops. or gas stops, whatever you want to call them. And so the thing about it is our food system is very mono. It's not diverse. We have cows, pigs, and chickens, and we sometimes eat turkey. Okay. It's probably on a sandwich. And Mm -hmm. in terms of fruits and vegetables, we don't really have a lot of diversity, orange, bananas, apples, maybe a pineapple here or a watermelon or some cantaloupe and stuff like that, but they're getting rare. It's more and more rare. Uh, And we mass produce wheat, corn, and soybeans. Okay. So thinking about all the food in the world that's out, natural nutrients, vitamins, things that help our immune systems, the nutrition that we need, we lack that nutrition and that diversity. So we often talk about obesity. Well, obesity is not the result of eating too much. And starvation is not the result of eating too little. Okay. The volume of food has nothing to do with being obese or being starving. Yes, we need calories to survive. I agree with that, but I don't agree with it in that we naturally will find balance as humans, proper weight, proper mental health, proper things like that with starting off with a balanced diet. And by balanced, I don't mean the food pyramid that we do in the United States. It's like right. so backward, unbelievable. What I'm talking about is we should be eating diverse animals. There's alligator in the United States. There's bison. There's elk. We have venison, deer, for anyone who doesn't know where venison is. We have rabbit. We have quail. We have Cornish hen. We have pheasant. We have goat, sheep, in addition to cow, pig, chicken, so turkey. So those that's an example. And amongst all the vegetables and fruits in the world, we only are on the tip of the iceberg when we see go to our grocery store. It's not even a fraction of it's like point zero 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 one percent of what's available in the world, especially if you travel. So ideally, the biggest trouble for the American consumer is access to that. That's number one. Number two is we in our institutions, our schools, our universities, our long-term care homes, our hospitals, also being in those industries. And I would say this is a worldwide problem is we default to big corporations. A lot of them don't care about locally sourcing or supporting our food systems. A lot of them care about what's known in the food industry as rebates. Who's going to pay me the most money on the back end 
for doing that food. Okay. So that's a really sneaky way of being like, oh, well, someone can get 10% on the back end. Someone can get 1%. Oh, but it's totally up to us how we do it. Okay. So I will be perfectly honest. It's a legal way of bribing you to buy your product. Okay. Because that number is not standard. And it is a totally way that food goes into the place or I'll pay you a lot of money to put me, put this food on the grocery store shelf. Okay. That is also what happens or I'll give you all my product for free. You pay me when you sell it, it becomes a money scenario. So the companies with the biggest pockets, the deepest pockets who often mass produce things that use a lot of chemicals in their food that use a lot of things to extend shelf life. Cause guess what? That's how you make more money. That's what goes on there. So while I love capitalism and I agree with it and and I am a capitalist, I'm also an industrialist in food and believe that we are lacking that. Okay. The third thing is, is we are uneducated as consumers for the thing we do the most of in our lives. And we break bread around and we have celebrations around. We are completely ignorant to what's going on in our food or how our food's done, or what we're actually eating, or what happens to that food, and where it comes from. Like most of our food now after COVID is imported into this country. The, For example, we had a foreign government country take over our entire pork industry. They bought Smithfield. They closed down over nine processing plants and now do it elsewhere, and then import that in. All of our fishing products all of our fish and seafood is imported 93% of it China. Okay. That's not saying that it's off of China shores. That's still allowing the Chinese for some reason to fish off of our shorelines, even though we're not allowed to as Americans. So things like that, like who is running our businesses, who's running the grocery stores we shop at, what is the actual interest there? And I agree for profit matters. I'm an entrepreneur and a capitalist. I agree. And people need to benefit from it. It is a huge inspiration. It keeps businesses alive. But at the same time, if we're going to do it, why not do it the proper way? You know, it's always something that, especially when we talk about what my drive is or who I surround myself, we're not having positive impact. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And I get, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) It sounds like, it's these mega corporations because they're squashing people like you who want to do it locally, but you can't really afford to because you're trying to sell this stuff in the grocery store, but they bought all the shelf space because of like you just said, backdoor deals and stuff. Yeah. And I think it's also ease. People take the easy path. It's easier to buy from a conglomerate. It's just easier. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the, the lazy road is also the road to hell, but it's like, it's like, and even if you're talking about your, your physical health or whatever, but in business, it's the same. We take shortcuts and it's not only corporations for profit. It's a lot of nonprofits that are going in and buying up farms right now in the United States. That's a big problem. A lot of our farms have been sold to the Chinese, the Dutch, the, Uh, Saudi Arabians, for example, and there's nothing wrong with that, I guess, but it's not, we don't, we can't do the same in reverse. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not like we can go to other countries and buy up land. And a lot of countries like Turkey, Brazil, China, a majority of the company has to be owned by a local company for you to even do business there. So 
like we're playing by different rules in the United States. And for all intents and purposes, while we believe we're doing the right thing for humanity, we're doing the wrong thing for our future and the legacy of food. It's a little bit scary in that most humans don't have any idea where the food comes from or who's providing it. And we have, and we turned it completely over to individuals that at the end of the day, and I've been in these rooms and I've worked with these companies and I partnered with these companies. They do not care about anything other than how much they can profit or get those rebates. It's not about providing the right food. They can claim nutrition, but if you watch these companies over the three decades that I've been in this business, their marketing changes with whatever the way the wind blows. Oh, it's plant-based protein time. Oh, let's do meatless Mondays. Okay. Like what? Okay. Now it's the organic and let's do the organic movement. Okay. Good marketing gets people rooting for us. Okay. Now it's time for free range chicken and pastured pork. Great. And then COVID comes and then it's, okay, let's move away from that as much processed food as possible. Because now it's all about medicine is the answer, not food. And so it's just marketing, advertising, trying to make a quick buck, uh, finding, thinking short term. I mean, I would say the biggest thing we as Americans as a whole is we are very short term thinking. We don't realize that most other countries are very long-term thinking. They're strategic thinking. We play chess, we play checkers, they're playing chess. Yeah. And especially in food, we are just here to make a dollar. And it's great. We're a capitalist country. Like I said, we're industrialists, we're entrepreneurs. But if you look at the way the rest of the world's playing the food game, they're playing it for the long run. We're yeah. playing it for whatever we can get right now or whatever the marketing buzz is right now. Do you think that any of that, like you you said, we're trying to push medicine and not good quality, healthy foods. Do you think that could be because they're in cahoots with each other? I mean, this is very, very left field, but it's it's sketchy to me. It's like all this pr- processed stuff and preservatives and all. First of all, you're sending food from China to here. If I have an apple sitting on my shelf over here, it goes bad in a day. You know what I mean? And how are you sending it from there all the way over to here? And it's not going bad. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you look at, we used to do a lot of business with Mexico. They used to, NAFTA and Canada and Mexico, we'd trade a lot of food back and forth. Broccoli and cauliflower, when we couldn't, when it wasn't seasonal here to grow, it usually was growing in Mexico. Okay, so you could get things year round like tomatoes and peppers and cauliflower and broccoli. Okay, and now most of that stuff comes not from those places. Uh, Cauliflower and broccoli in particular in the commercial setting does come from China. It is flash frozen over there and produced and somehow it existed and the transition just magically happened during COVID. (laughs) I'm just, but how do you all of a sudden did you grow all that stuff, have all that stuff frozen and all of a sudden COVID happens. And now we're buying from China versus from Mexico because the border issue, but yet there's no border issue when it's coming from the sea on ships. So just a lot of things have changed. The United States used to be the intermediary in a lot of food trade around the world. We are no longer that. We do not. Lo- we no longer hold that, what I would call power 
And as the United States, we were we're we're free minded. We we try to have balance. Even there is corruption. Don't get me wrong, but we are more balanced minded. Even in that, compared to governments or countries that are not fair minded, that are totally one hundred percent about their citizens only and about their influence only and infiltration only of the their. Food is the fastest way to influence because we don't care about it in the United States. So because we've turned a blind eye to it and it's such a large industry, think about how much food you eat per day and how many Americans there are, for example, or how many citizens in the world. Like it's a really easy way because no one cares or no one pays attention to grab a lot of control and power within our government. So do I think they're in cahoots? Yes, of course. There's lobbying. You have pharmaceutical companies. They have a lot of power. Food is medicine goes against medicine, you know, yep. and our pharmaceutical business. Why? I believe both are I believe both are necessary. Why there's not a conversation out of a line both, I do not know. But it's either one or the other. You go to the hospital and the thing they spend the least amount of money on is the food yet you need to be eating properly to get out of the hospital it mm-hmm. always yes. floored me how i'd be happy how our meals literally are less than ten dollars a meal in the hospital with the snacks with three round meals a day two snacks we're like sometimes as low as seven dollars and fifty cents a meal and we need to lower our costs but the medicine that you're giving them four times a day costs seventy dollars a freaking pill excuse me what's going on here? Like this is up that we're putting the cart before the horse. We are looking at this backwards, but the human mind, we want, we think there's a hack. We think there's a hack for everything. And so there is hack. back to the point of diversity of food. The hack is eating lots of different kinds of food, diversifying your diet, uh, building your immune system through multiple nutrients and vitamins sourced from many different kinds of food. um, Right. or vegetables or animals and just saying we are the top of the food chain and we are that and we have grown to who we are by having diversity of diets it's only over the last hundred years that we've sort of gone into just industrial farming industrial food because we're like oh we're gonna feed everyone and we're gonna stop starvation Well, it's great, but if you're not getting the nutrients and vitamins that you need, back to my point on being skinny or obese, you're going to keep eating if you're not getting the vitamins and minerals you need. And even if I gave you a bunch of food uh, that you have the number of calories you need, you're going to be thin. You're going to starve. You're going to starve no matter how many calories you have. You may get by, but you're going to be starving. Okay. And starvation, when we have a first world country like the United States, when you're starving or constantly hungry, you just eat more. And starvation is not a lack of volume. It's a lack of nutrition. So mm, do I... One of the things you're saying too, though, is really clear that it's not just starving because of calories. It's starving because of nutrients, right? Like your body needs this to grow. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And and you said if you eat, a lot, but you're eating a lot of diverse, good food. You're not going to get fat. I know this. Like, and yeah, when I, tell you, when I was on the road a lot, especially at the beginning of my career, you're eating fast food sometimes like two, three times a day. Okay. You are still starving 
Mm-hmm. You need a pizza at night. You're waking up in the middle of the night. You're hungry. You're going to the fridge. Where's that gallon of milk so I can get that down? Or a bowl of cereal or whatever I can do or a cake or a hot pocket or whatever I can get in my body at that time. And that's all because of of what we're talking about here. Think there's not really a lot of vegetables in fast food, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and even the healthiest fast food doesn't have a lot of diversity. It, It just is being aware of that. And it's, you know, and as we're getting better at science, so I'm not debunking science or medicine, but we're also understanding that they are complementary. It's okay for us as humans to use our will to complement nature, but at right. the same time, it needs to be complementary in a partnership, not necessarily one or the other. And so the lobbying and stuff like that in the government, back to the point, the coercion, the and it's not a conspiracy theory. We all know lobbying exists. We all know the companies with the biggest pockets pay the biggest money. And how do they do it? They set up accounts and they figure out how to, oh, I'm not buying the senator a car, but his wife and two kids have a car. Right. You know, uh, oh, and they're consultants for our company, even though that senator's not, but his wife is a consultant for the company and his two kids who are weirdly nine and 11 years old, they're consultants for the company. Oh, that. <laughs> You know, so so it's like we are and we talk about being woke up. We're not awake at all. We are aware how much we think that happens. And I'm not I get the idea. But if we want to look at the way everything plays out, everything is always creating division in our society. For sure. And that is causing distraction. And why is there that distraction? Because they don't want us looking at what really goes on. Okay. Yeah. is a way of keeping power okay if you look at any really powerful person that's didn't earn their way along it sort of manipulates their way the thing they do really well is constantly call cause chaos amongst their rates organize chaos and they're constantly making sure their people are comfortable so they don't want to grow but they're also constantly making it so they don't get along with each other for sure at the leader as the problem they don't divided look at, we fall. Yeah. And yeah, exactly what's happening. If we look at even the vegan movement right now. Okay. I understand it's a choice for everyone. Okay. For sure. Based on principle, but saying that it betters the planet and it saves lives is a total false thing. If you ever grew up on a farm and you plow a field, you kill more rats and squirrels than one cow's life ever costs you by just grazing. A cow does not kill anything. One cow, it just grazes on a field. It may kill another cow if it's really hungry. It may accidentally step on some worms. Right. But generally, wh- how many animals is the cow killing? And a cow fart that's so <laughs> popular to believe right now is killing the rice fields produce more methane than a cow's than the cows do. Wow. See, this is, this is the shit right here. <laughs> it's like, I li- yeah. And I'm not, this is not my statistics. These are things that you, anyone can look online when I'm saying and look at this information for you sure. Know, matter of educating ourselves, like I said, and growing. But again, when you plow a field, you kill snakes, you kill bugs, you kill mice, you kill rats, you kill squirrels, you kill worms, you kill anything that's in the soil. 
and they're all in there. They're all hiding in there. You kill foxes, you kill bunnies because they have bunny dens in your fields, especially during the spring when we're plowing fields when they're being born. You're killing tons of rabbits, tons of them when you plow fields. And so I'm not saying we should get rid of farming. I'm just saying we need to have a realistic conversation over what is really going on if we think we're saving lives by being eating more vegetables. Yeah, not for, for, sure. for sure. For so, sure. I I get so some of that that movement is because of what you spoke about, this mass produced yep. stuff. Because yep. they're the conditions that those animals are in is awful. I mean they're in they're, some they're, places. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not humanely slaughtered and things like that. But it's like Okay, well then let's let's stop buying from these big corporations that want to burn and churn and and just make profit and let's go to people like you where you locally source from a butcher down the street. You went and saw him butcher a cow and he does it in the right way. Yeah. Which, killing an animal sucks, but diversity, we have to well, eat. That and that's what we are. Life, right? Exactly. Like yes, you said exactly. we are the apex, right? Well, well like, I mean, look at well, there was a there was a tweet and it made me laugh so hard. It said, why does PETA say I can't eat fish, but other fish eat fish. <laughs> I laughed so damn hard. I'm like, wow. I never even thought of it that way. The animals they're trying to protect are eating each other and we can't eat them. <laughs> I mean, if you watch any of the shows, I think there's like, Mexico Untamed right now is a show on TV. One of the things in there is animals will even turn on their own species and kill each other. Yes. Like they're and they're not doing it to eat each other. They're just doing it to kill each other. Like I'm this so here's the thing. Okay, we're higher beings. Here's in my opinion the answer. Like we have a responsibility. We are the angels on this planet. When it talks about angels, we are them. We're the highest being on this planet. We're the ones between whatever else is next or nothing next and the animals. So if we're caretakers, if we're not going to eat the cows, are we going to have them as pets? No. Guess what? We've domesticated them. No one's going to have pet cows in their house. Okay, maybe we get milk out of them. But if you're vegan, you don't drink milk either. So here's my issue is if we don't eat them and we don't take care of them, what happens to them? They go extinct. We have no use for them. Right. They have purpose. But do I think we need to utilize them and praise their life? Yes, that's part Absolutely. of being. Do we need to be more responsible in the way we eat them and, and eat more of the animal and utilize all of it? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. But the better chicken farms don't go burning their chickens. They have alligators. They feed it to the alligators. The alligators eat the chickens. They also process the alligator meat and the alligator skins. Okay. That's utilizing, that's creating a circle there. And that's a death circle. I'm sorry. If you, there are a lot of chickens that die, but it's still nothing compared to when we plow fields. Right. Okay. There's just, and, and do we try to manipulate things and manipulate the animals? Yes. Could the environments be better? Yes, they should be better. We should have healthier. We should have more rotation. We should be growing more animals on a farm and uh, fruits and vegetables, and they should be rotated. No doubt about it. There's a lot of farmers out there that are doing regenerative farming, as it's called, or rotational farming in the non-traditional sense, or uh, sorry, in the, I will say traditional since it's the way we did it up until the hundred years and the non-commercial sense um, that that's 
profitability. I get world competitiveness, but we're not competitive on a world scale. Right. Don't have the cheapest labor. So why are we mass producing things? Why are we subsidizing as the government? Why? Because we got pork was an American business. We sold it. Okay. What are the other animals that we can produce here to go full circle on the other question? We have bison, we have elk, we have alligator. Those are all meats that are American meats that we could thrive in growing here in a rotational environment. You can't have bison near cattle because they will, disease will kill each other, no different than the Europeans coming into the Native Americans. And so they just don't, those species aren't, they don't mix well, but you can keep them at distance and rotate them. You can also then pigs, goats, whatever, sheep, quail, chickens, whatever, they can rotate with them. You know, and of course, there's eagles that are going to eat chickens if they're outside. And that's what they do. They're going to kill things. That's what they do. Circle of life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To your point, everything has a purpose. It's just not necessarily what we think it is or we want it to be at the end of the day we we have to realize that this is just the way the way of life and do i think there's a purpose for all of it yes if we ever have to leave this planet that we're going to have to eat plants first they're the things that grow because if we take animals with us it's going to take us a while to build up a population of animals for us Mm -hmm. to eat Mm -hmm. so do i think both have principles and a purpose Yes, of course. For human survival, I do. I just don't think that, I think they are personality choices. I don't think that either one has the impact that we think they do because the true impact is eating diversely. So interestingly, the problem with consumer and health and humans health is the same thing. That's the earth health. We want a better earth. We want a healthier earth. We got to diversify our foods and the way we grow things in our farming. Okay. And in order to do that, we also need to diversify our food, which ultimately makes us healthier, live longer, feeds our brain. Because whatever anyone shakes it any other way to the other point you made, if you feed a lion vegetables, they will go blind. They will eventually die. They are eaters. They want meat. Their body processes meat. If you start feeding a cow a bunch of meat, Yes, the cow might survive for a while. Cows can eat meat and they will kill each other if they're hungry and eat each other. So everyone thinks the the cow is just a grass eater. It's not. It will eat its own. Any animal will eat its own, especially a mammal if it's hungry. We as humans yeah. know this to be true also. So it's just we we think that by thinking... I don't know, by creating figments of our imagination. That's how I would describe it. We create figments. Mm-hmm. And get them to be true. It's and crazy. Thing that we're human. Like, I get it. We want to think larger and we want to think more altruistically. It's important. But at the end of the day, we are still humans and we need to thrive as humans. And as those higher beings, we are more like shepherds. Yes. And not saviors. I think that that we are not saviors. We don't save anything. Anytime we try to save anything, we make it 10 times worse. That's the road (laughs) paved with good intentions. We are just shepherds of the world. We have to live in unison with it. We have to live in collaboration with it. We have to live alongside of it. We are not. And when we start thinking that we're higher than that, and we're not sort of, and I said angels, because we are a higher being. 
taking care of everything altruistically and making sure they fulfill their purpose too. And at some point, our planet was created, grown, even if it's a big bang theory or whatever, there is a hierarchy that goes on in the world, oh, right? Yeah. Food eats food, period. Yep. Like, yep. We, and to deny that denies like what has logically been done for thousands of years and why I believe we are intelligent enough to figure out better ways to do things. It is not getting rid of the animals that we eat because what's going to happen to them. It's like, we will have no use for them and they will have no purpose. And then what we save them. No, we didn't save them. We didn't save them. Look what happens when we don't eat things. Look what happens when we don't eat sheep in the United States. There's a lack of them. And that's all because the World War II vets were fed so much sheep. I forget the um, sorts of the mutton. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Mutton that they came back not wanting to eat sheep. I get it. Right. Like, But now it's like we don't have that diversity in our diet. We don't eat goat a lot either. And goat's like a super powerhouse protein. It has a lot of vitamins and a lot of um, things that benefit our immune system. And it has a lot of protein. It builds a lot of muscle in us. Everyone's like protein shakes and whatever. Eat different meats. It will change it. Eat male animals. We don't eat male animals for some reason other than the castrated ones. Eat a bull every once in a while. We just don't do that in this country. We're just, we don't, because everything has to be mass produced. So, yeah. okay, you want higher testosterone levels like the rest of the country? Uh diversify your diet. Yeah. Wow. So I, I got a question for you about eating meat. I read this thing about when you do eat meat and it is like pasture raised or grass fed, grass fed, the nutrients from the actual grass are in the meat. So it's really good for you. That's why this mass production isn't good also because what are they fed? Like grain, just the cheap stuff instead of a natural diet for these animals that we are consuming. It, I mean, is that true? Is that something that is real? Like if I have a cow that is pasture raised out there, it's better for you than a, a cow locked in a cage and fed grain all day. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of tiptoe my way to this answer. Cause this is a big one that you just touched upon. We have the the biggest drug in the world. The worst thing in the world for all humans is sugar. It causes cancer. It causes bad things. Okay. Is it good in light amounts? Sure. But the problem is there's nowhere in our food system where it's like you get off candy, there's still food in your processed foods. There's still sugar in your French fries, whether in, in some places they sweeten them, even though you can't taste it because it gives that addictiveness to eat more. Okay. It's a little trick they play in food. Put sugar in your pasta sauce. Look at your pasta sauce at the grocery store. It has sugar in it. Okay, but here's the thing to answer your question. Those animals are fattened up at the end of their life by sugar, corn, particularly high in sugar, uh, things that have high sugar ratios because they're high in carbohydrates and they convert to build the animal bigger. Why? Because they get paid on weight. Doesn't matter if they're fat or it has more nutrient or whatever. And again, animal fat's not bad. I don't want to say that. I'm just saying what's in that meat is sugar. And so even if we're cutting it out of our diet, we're still getting it through the animals we eat. So the answer is yes. When like cows, we can't eat vegetables or grass and turn it into what cows turn it into for us. Okay. We can't turn 
the stuff that pigs turn into really, really healthy things for us, really healthy fat, really healthy meat, really healthy vitamins and nutrients. We have to process it with with animals. They have to go through the animals to get to us. If we eat it directly while it's still in there and we scientifically prove it's in there. So we're like, oh, I'm, it has the vitamins in it I need. But our body does just because it has it in it doesn't mean our body processes it or is efficient at processing it to get those minerals and vitamins and nutrients. Okay, so the animals are necessary to process that grass for us into a form that gives us what we can't get from the grass by eating it directly. Okay, cows they have four stomachs okay any animal that sort of eats grass like that breaks it down for us pigs they eat everything pigs do eat meat okay they are also carnivores to think that they are not is not true okay they are aggressive animals especially when they're not necessarily so domesticated but they will eat anything you put in front of them okay and so that that is proper for this world. They will eat feces and process it into nutrients because I know everyone that scares everyone. But guess what? When I go to the bathroom, I leave behind nutrients that my body didn't process. Okay. Mm-hmm. If they cat that, just like in the ocean, they certain fish eat other fish's poop and then we still eat them. Shrimp and lobster are bottom feeders. Yeah. What do you think, guys? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know that that you're paying for a lot of is processing poop. Right. You know, and turning it into something that has protein in it and that we eat and we get vitamins and nutrients out of. So it's like that type of thinking where we're like, oh, it's eating poop. It must be bad. It's going to the muscle. No, it's processing it differently. It and in the grass that we eat, it's from poop. Right. Or yeah. It's from a lot of things dying. It's also from death. Death. Yep animals goes into organic soil death of things worms they die in the soil bugs you know how many flies fall to the ground and die in a field and your vegan field you're eating right. that <laughs> yes so and i again it's not i i believe i believe in the principle of of veganism or vegetarianism when it is aligned with saving our planet i agree with that principle but when we think it's saving the animals it's and I get it. Okay, I don't want to hurt an animal. Okay, that's a principle. That's your choice. Okay, I don't think that that's something that is beneficial for humans as uh, overall. Okay, and if we think that we're going to run out of food and vegetables are the answer, they are not the answer. Okay, again, nature already provided us the answers. We just need to mimic it. We need to s- simulate it. We need to make it. Nature already made everything compounding on one another and made it work for tens of thousands of years before our brains were ever big enough to figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, you know, I'm a believer in God. So God created this system and we can either use our will to try to own it or control it, or we can use our will to try to make Shepherd. sure that it exists in the way that was intended. Yeah. The shepherd. And yep. that that's our brains are our brains back to your point, because they grew by having diversity of nutrients and vitamins. That's why we're smarter than anyone else. That's why ultimately out of all the humans, there were like six different species of humans while homo sapiens sapiens were the ones that are left. 
okay? And it's hard for people to believe this, but there were other humans that weren't us on this planet at one time, okay? There was a diversity of that, okay? So in understanding that the reason we're the alpha now, we're the only ones left because our brains were big enough to figure out how to dominate all the other ones, whether they were smaller than us, bigger than us, stronger than us, did not matter. We have the bigger brain, okay? We have more developed brain. Why is that? It had to do with the areas we lived in, and it had to do with the diversity of our food. So to take a step backwards knowingly in evolution and in what we were meant to be, and again, I'll just explain this to everyone. I think God works, doesn't see time the way that we do. So if he's working on a long-term plan, he's adjusting. He's not, oh, yeah. he's still figuring things out. So he's like, okay, I need a higher being. These look like the right type of beings. They're evolving. Let's let's make it that way. I know that goes against Christianity or a lot of traditional thinking, but in actuality, if we really eat properly, we are not stuck just as we are as humans. We can evolve even more as humanity. We can de-evolve also. We can de-evolve our legacy. Keep pushing non-nutritional things into our legacies. Watch what happens, the compounding effect of obesity. Watch what happens, the compounding effect of health and intelligence. Okay. Intelligence is not only I'm born with it or genetics or whether I studied in school. It's also what I'm feeding my brain. Yeah. So, yes. Grass fed, grass finished, the way the animals were intended to feed, us eating the way we were intended to be fed. So I, I think that as humans, we just need to be more aware of what's around us and where we come from and don't, and don't think we're smarter than the world around us. We're not, it's more complex than we, than we are and why we figure it out scientifically. The problem with science is we, we figure out a very small little narrow channel or street corner, like very few people actually think about how it all aligns together as a whole altruistically and why it works. Because I love science, don't get me wrong, but I'm also a business person. And in my life, I can become very narrow-minded and very narrow-focused. And that's what we're doing when we're trying to solve a problem here. Oh, let's create a super bug that goes and, you know, a tick or a fly that helps with immunities with this animal. Okay, now people have allergies to beef. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So why we don't need to mess with this. Okay. Just because we're smart in, in one industry doesn't mean we're smart in food. No one period is smart in food. The farmers have that are really good have figured out how to work within nature to create food. Okay. To create things we can consume, but us, we, we should not think that three crops are the answer or one crop's answer or plant-based protein is the answer. It is not the answer. The mm -hmm. answer what's already been given to us. I know we think we can fix it or make it better. We can make it better, but it's not necessarily ours to fix unless it's recreating what already works. Why are we denying what already works? And lastly, vitamins that we get at the grocery store, all of those, again, are shortcuts. We're trying to shortcut our way oh, through. Yep. And most of the time, our body doesn't absorb them. 
Like that's the thing you spend a lot of money. You're getting like 20% maybe out of it, 30%. Reason our bodies aren't meant to absorb vitamins in that way. Right. You know, you know yeah. take a bunch of vitamins, you'll pee them out. You're, you can't take more than you need, but at the same time, you pee most of them out anyway. Mm-hmm. So- and I feel like we've kind of tiptoed around this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I want to, I want to hear your answer as far as who you think should be held ap- accountable for all the things you mentioned, our ignorance, the divi- lack of diversity, the idea of these big companies and uh, trying to get, just get the rebates. Like, Who do you think is accountable for what's going into our food and what's happening with our food? We are. We, we are. It's our buying power. It's how we choose. Every time we go to a restaurant, the restaurants we choose, the institutions we choose we're on we we sit on ptas or parent teacher association meetings we sit in these things and we're worried about what our kids are being educated in but we don't worry about what they're fed or who's feeding them or who has the contract for those schools or the districts so who's in our hospitals where is our voice uh who's in our grocery stores we have the buying power we pay the taxes we we purchase things. We have that choice. It's ours. But, and if I wanted to pick on a group, if I wanted to really narrow it down, food entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, we're, we are responsible. Whoever's in food industry, who's ever in business, we are also the problem. We are being deceitful and we are being dishonest. And maybe it's not on purpose. Maybe it's not knowing, but we are, for lack of a better term, uh, propelling the problem. What do you mean? I mean, we have a choice on what to serve in our restaurants. We have a choice on how to buy. We have a choice whether to deal with broadliners or not. And by broadliners, I mean mass distributors like US Cisco, um, PFG, Performance Food Group. And we have a choice. So, you know, I get it. It's about profitability and taking care of family. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We can find ways to educate the consumers and we can find ways to better our food. There's plenty of businesses and farms that are doing very well doing this. So at the end of the day, I would say, number one, the consumer. And then number two, definitely the entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, anyone in the food business. We have a huge responsibility. And, you know, if we really do care about the legacy of our families, fine, you don't care about every other human okay, we've become very eye focused. I get it. But that's the, that's the issue. Like we don't ask the questions either. We're afraid or it's it's so convenient to choose the food we have that we just do whatever. I mean, the chicken McNugget wasn't invented until like 1981, you know, invented Mm -hmm. like, sorry. We now like chicken nugget is a freaking food group. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially for kids. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what is going on here? Okay, simplicity, kids like it, it tastes good. They have, it has sugar in it. Like, Mm. come on, like, uh, you know? And so there's things like that. We can talk about the government at the end of the day and everyone wants to point fingers and think it's the government's responsibility. I just don't, I don't believe that. I believe the government gets away with whatever we will allow them to. Okay. Ooh, powerful. Yeah, 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 true. I mean, I do think a lot of it, though, it it, to your point, we vote these people in, but it does have to do with government because of overregulation of farms and 
things yeah. like that. And it's hard for small farms to compete with these big, big companies. Yeah. They have lawyers to figure out if they're skirting the law and things like that. But I'm just Joe Schmo over here. I've got me a small dairy farm or whatever, you know, a small pasture raised cow farm. That's all I do. But I can't compete with that guy. And I'm afraid that the government's going to come at me because I did something wrong. Well, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's messed up. Your your cows fart too much. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm not harnessing the farts to heat my house. (laughs) <laughs> and people are cows and pigs. They're great. What do they do? This is the thing they don't talk about is they actually se- they actually sequester or put carbon back into the soil. Their hooves are designed to put the carbon back into the soil. That pollution right. we're worried about. There's no crop in the world that does that. Okay. It does not do it the way animals do with their hooves, with the manure, with other animals. How about chicken, the nitrates that are in chicken poop? You need then the hooves of the animal to push that into the soil. You need the chickens to pick out the bugs that don't help it grow. If we don't do that, we still need chemicals and pesticides. Even if you think it's all natural, you're still doing something that's unnatural by adding it to it. So it's it's just... It's a, it's like, oh, see what I'm doing over here so you don't see what I'm doing over here, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and plants, are, plants suck the nutrients out of the soil. Yeah. It's a circle. It's a circle. Yeah. It's a circle, 100%. So I think we're going to switch gears here and yeah. kind of go towards your podcast. You have a podcast. Yeah. And it is uh, called Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. What episode is your favorite? Just in case uh, listeners want to kind of check your podcast out after they hear this. Oh, man, that's a tough one. There's a couple. I mean, John's Farm is one of my favorites. They are a company. They are many generation farmers. And in the 90s, after a horrible accident on their farm um, and sort of and this is their words, God coming into their life fully. They switched to regenerative farming and organic farming. They're out of Oklahoma. And we've done three episodes. It's very, very powerful story. So okay. there. I would also say that uh, Roll Em Up to Ketos, he's named Sam, Sam Fonseca. Fonseca, sorry. Um, it's a little speech impediment there that I... <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and he's just a very powerful entrepreneur turned entrepreneur. And he's built a lot of companies and helped a lot of franchises grow. And he's recently transitioning into be more altruistic minded and more. Um, but he does really well and he helps a lot of people grow and he helps fulfill a lot of dreams. And then there's always like companies like Nash Dogs, who's like he's figuring things out. He's only three years old. We've done about five episodes but he's very driven and he's very altruistic in his mindset of helping his community and humans on it. So like, I generally like those episodes more. It's nothing against all of them. I, I learned something from every episode I have, but in, in its entirety, I really get a lot out of the individuals that are trying are realize that whatever they're doing is a vehicle to do better in this world. It's not necessarily something that defines them. You know, it's the journey, not the the destination, right? And so 
food is a vehicle to better this world, to better the humans on it, to better the lives of the animals, the plants, however you want to look at it, the insects, whatever that is, uh, the bugs, the birds, the bees, all of that matters with food. Those are generally my favorite episodes. It used to be, it's hard because they get better. I get better (laughs) at job. The entrepreneurs that get better better on here, I know you guys know that. Like at first, you're a freaking train wreck the first couple of times. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's a lot of editing to do at the beginning. <laughs> oh, man. At the beginning. Uh, <laughs> those days, I do not miss those days. Now it's like you can do it in one take. But oh, yeah. Like, um, nope, didn't happen. And and it's also being good at your job. I think you guys are really good at it, is you don't the on the person on the other side gets into a flow state or into a fluid state where they're being more natural and they're able to talk more naturally where there's not the stopping and starting. So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We try to keep I, it down down to earth and it's not like yeah, we always say in in all of our show notes that we send to prospects of interviews, we just say natural flow that's it It, it'll build organically we'll figure it out as we go there is a process of editing so if it does pause for five minutes that's fine too (laughs) we got this happens yeah absolutely yeah i can't wait to listen to a couple of episodes that you just mentioned like everything that we discussed today is things that russ and i have talked about online a lot lot. yes it's it also feels like with our maturity like we have grown and are becoming more aware right um so yeah i i am very excited to keep keep listening but if you had one message so you have your podcast you have a couple of them actually but pertaining specifically to food choices and back to the idea of consumers here and you could guarantee that people would hear this message. What do you think it would be? What would you want people to know? We get one shot at this. Even if there's an afterlife, you get one shot at this to make impact and influence in a positive way and not just with your children. You get one shot. And the easiest way for anyone to do that, the everyday person, is in the choices we make when we eat and the food that we buy, and what we are teaching our children. If we're not educating ourselves, they're not educating themselves either on food. And so, you know, I think the message is we get one shot at this. And if you really want to make an impact and have impact, it's not donating money. It's not, you know, volunteering somewhere. All of those things matter. I think you should still do that. But if you want to have real influence and you want to have long-lasting impact, you know, because governments change, societies change, empires fall. That's the part of the way of the world. That's the history will tell you that nothing's guaranteed. So, but our food systems are, we've always eaten. It's always been a part of religion. So if it's like halal or kosher, those are just food safety plans that are brought into religion to keep people safe and healthy. And, and so if we look at things like that, like at the end of the day, the food matters. So I would say if I'm going to truncate it, it'd be we get one shot at this. Food matters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's <laughs> I think it, to me, it also resonates with go back to basics. Like you don't have to have this grand blue sky plan, right? Like you just said, it's food It's what we do every day. Like it's back to basics. Wow. I like that a lot. That was good. <laughs> so what, what advice would you give a young entrepreneur that is just beginning their, their business 
owning starting journey? Yeah, it's two things. One is don't stop. Even with failure, every failure is a lesson, okay? And don't listen to the statistics. When they say 50% of the businesses fail, it's a snapshot. That doesn't include the people that keep trying and eventually find success. I think that that's the biggest one that I see people give up too soon or too easily or give up on their ideas. It's just statistics are there for data crunching, but they a lot of them are used for fear, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, and usually the people that are in a, a fear state of mind are the ones who use that to say, you know, 50% of businesses fail. Um, Sounds like is, big businesses in, injecting their statistics in to keep you guys from succeeding. Yeah. I mean, everything can be used for a reason, whether it's propaganda yeah. or for it can any statistic can be tweaked to fit a message. Um, yeah, you do. know what a, go- a good statistic would be for what you were just saying is how many entrepreneurs are successful and have a business that is thriving instead of saying 50% of businesses fail. Yeah. That dude tried five times, but now his sixth time he's running a successful business. So he didn't give up. Let's switch it to something like that instead of, Oh, this dude failed. Well, no, he's, he's fine now. (laughs) Well, and I, if you want, I'm talking, taking it back to my podcast, if you look at the Greenberg bagels episode out of Brooklyn, New York, he failed three times in the restaurant game before he got Greenberg bagels. Now he has Valentine's pizza. Now he has Brooklyn's best iced tea company. That's in uh, like one of the fastest growing beverages companies in the country, I bet. And so Okay, he failed three times. So yeah, he was that statistic, the 50% until he wasn't. Exactly. Okay? And it's like, oh, you are 100% that statistic when it's you. So what does the statistic really matter? No, it doesn't. It's whatever it is. If you're failing, you're 100% on the side, the 50% that failed. If you're succeeding, you're 100% on the side that's succeeding. But at some point, there is no road that's paved in gold. It does not yeah. happen. Do not find success without, even when you have successful businesses and you're growing your business, you have extreme failures. You can have businesses that are decades old that fail. Governments change, regulations change. They can fail. So the the thing that I would say, the other point I would make to everyone is principles. Build your businesses off of principles, not personalities, not being cool, not trying to bring your buddies or your family into there or their personalities, like make sure you actually bring people into your business that have good character, that have good principles, that align with the principles that you have for your businesses. Because at the very beginning stages, we're so focused about getting money and growing. We don't worry about the soft skills. And those soft skills are often what leads to that 50% of loss. It's not whether you're a good entrepreneur or not. It's not whether or not you're a great entrepreneur. If you're a young person, it has everything to do with that support system and the principles of the individuals who are in your support system, who you choose to be in a relationship with, how you choose your relationship with your parents, how you choose your relationship with your siblings, how you act as a human. All of that dictates whether you succeed or not. It's just not, oh, it's a luck thing. It's not luck. It's not luck. 50% succeeding or 50% failure has nothing to do with luck. It's not true. It has everything to do with principles, character, 
discipline the people we surround ourselves with. And if you're in a bad relationship and you're trying to start a business, you're going to have a bad business, period. It's just the way it is. You are a reflection in your business. The business as an entrepreneur is a reflection of you. The people that lead will ultimately lead just like you. So if you don't figure it out at a young age and you want to be a good entrepreneur, the first thing you need to do is, and Ben Franklin has a great method, read his autobiography. He built his character over a lifetime, a really strong character. He has a guideline in there to do it. There's other ways to do it. There's things like 75 hard that, that help individuals really get that in check. But I would say that don't give up discipline, your support system and grow your character and make sure you're modeling a good human. Because if you're a bad human or if you're doing bad things or cheating in one part of your life, but you're like, oh, I'm a good businessman. I do that outside of my business. No, that's going to reflect back in your business. You're going to attract those type of bad things in your business. And even if you're doing it on a minor scale, because you're the leader, it's going to exemplify and magnify. And you're going to have a lot of individuals who bring that into your business. Um, right. They're not nice to humans here and there. They're going to be really not nice to humans in your business. For sure. So, Wow. No, I think I'm going to use some of those sound bites whenever we do a podcast related to toxic workplaces. And we'll have you back to really dive into the entrepreneurial stuff as well. I mean, we went on about your food experience, but this is almost like where the culture of the world is today, right? The idea of people who own businesses and what the company culture is, and then the toxicity that may come out of it if they don't have the principles like you're saying. Like, that yeah. is where we're at as a society. <laughs> yeah. More and more work environments are toxic. Again, it's an individual responsibility. It's me as the worker not to be entitled or play a victim yeah, all the time. For sure. Um, and we all have bad shit. We're all human. Not one's worse than the other. A toothache is a toothache to the person that has it. Okay. So the problem is, is we've brought that all into our workplace and it negatively impacts the environment and negatively impacts the humans involved and negatively impacts the humans, families who are involved. And it, it crushes dreams to be perfectly frank. It crushes legacies um, for the people, the employees or the team members and the businesses. So Yes, I would say that in a weird way and, and division and, and disruption, it plays a lot of part of it in society right now. But yes, we live in a business. Absolutely. All right. Well, now we got some fun ones. Yeah, let's move on to the fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we got some fun questions and, and not, not so serious. <laughs> what would you do tomorrow if you won $10 million tonight? You said it right that time. I'm proud. Uh, uh, that's a good one. I would say that, I don't know, it's different for me. I think probably a lot of people think about how they would spend it or buy or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I read it in the pre-questions too. And it did. it's one of those things that stumps me a little bit because I'm an investor. I invest in myself um, mainly. And so I would... If it were $10 million, I'd figure out a way to make it work because it was a gift to me. If I suddenly won it, I would feel like I owed it back, um, that I didn't earn it. And so that would be difficult for me. Um, Like having earned it would be 
gosh, it would be a blessing, but at the same time, I'd feel like it's a curse. So I would have to put it to use in some way that would benefit other people or give back to the world around me. Um, even if that's a business and creating jobs, I don't think I would use it for myself. I think I would be very intentional about how I invested that money or used it and for the gift that was given. And mainly uh, right now, I think a lot of that would have to do with farming or food for sure. And, um, or investing in TV shows or YouTube things that are educating the world. I think education and exporting knowledge is pretty important around food right now and figuring out ways to do that. But ultimately, I'd figure out a way of not giving it away to someone else to do whatever they wanted with it because I don't think that works. Um, I'm a firm believer in why are we giving mosquito nets to countries when we should be teaching them how to produce their own mosquito nets and building economies and businesses, you know, because once you do that, then there's a place for lawyers, there's a place for accountants, there's a place for supply. So it's more of that, that I would do. I would create things that allow ecosystems around business to form because in that capitalist world, um, especially in places that are struggling around the world, the answer is not donations. The answer is handouts it's it's a temporary solution it makes you feel good for the second it doesn't make things work in the long run we're not creating long word solutions we're not creating ownership of businesses we're not creating 401k plans to retire off of we're creating oh here's a mosquito net i feel good i'm the rich country or the rich person or the person i need to feel better about themselves so i'll give money so someone else does the work i should be doing myself so i think that Ultimately, you ha- if anyone wins anything or any gift is given, you really have to think about how you give back for what you received. Because <laughs> I used to have a friend that used to go around and help manage the money of lottery ticket winners. And it was always interesting to me, the ones who saved it right away or put it into an account right away or had it trickle out over years were much better at managing the money. The ones who wanted to spend it and became very focused on it and didn't think it was a gift or appreciate why it was given to them, or maybe there was a greater reason it was given to them, lose it in a few years. Like they don't hold on. And so in this case, I would say that winning that, like it would be a lot about focusing on, it's not about buying a car or a house or whatever. It's about, I need to make this money work for me. Maybe I benefit from the aftermath in some ways, of course, profitability and stuff like that. But I think ultimately you have to put it to work. It works right. for you. Now you got to go make it work for the world because the world gave it to you. Yeah. <laughs> You're so philosophical with your answers. <laughs> I in- indoor farming is a big one. Like the, I mean, I would probably invest in, in more in that. I mean, that's uh, in diversity farming. We need more of it. We need more examples of it. $10 million doesn't buy you a lot in that field. But I think that that's a big part of it, too. How do you educate people? How do you tell them the story of food, really, from what is really the story of the broccoli you're eating? What's its story? You know, we care so much about human stories or watching Animal Planet, but what's really the story of the food? What does it go through to get to us? You know? Mm -hmm. For sure. All right. I think our final question is, uh, where can people find you? And your businesses, what is your web presence? If you have a local place that people can stop by and check out your your food and 
whatever else. Uh, yeah, I do everything off of Instagram um, and Facebook mainly. So that would be the place to find me. Um, as I'm rebuilding, I would say we talked about the companies I have transitioned. Um, business partners got out. We sold a lot of companies over over the years, uh, got out of a lot of businesses, had a couple of businesses that didn't do so well in COVID. Um, so I ventured out on my own. I don't have the same business partners anymore. I have a different group of people. I've changed my support system to go back to what everyone's talking about. Uh, and this is going to be a long-winded answer, and you just wanted me to spit out a few things. <laughs> but but it's, uh, it's a little bit like I'm in a rebuilding phase. Um, you can find me online at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, as you see there, if you're watching online. But that's where I do everything. We're slowly building a web presence, but right now we're having trouble keeping up with the business and the interest we are having without doing any marketing or advertising. I mean, that's just because the partners I have and, and the business I'm in. And additionally, I am working on a TV show that's talking about what we're talking about. It's called Futopia. And it is a TV show that will go around, is going around the world and telling the story of food from the farmers to the entrepreneurs and restaurateurs uh, and locally sourcing and working with your local sources. But it goes to cities all over the world. And if everything goes according to plan, we'll do 18 seasons over 12 years and cover a majority of the cities in the world and tell the story of food through really those cities. Because Again, locally sourcing is really important and it's really important for our local economies and ecosystems. It's more important than we think. And I'm not saying that take CVS down or take Walgreens down or whatever, but I just think consciously when it comes to food, we have to be very aware of where it comes from. So um, to answer the question, I right now, um, I, I have a company, we do Freedom Foods. It's rebuilding food service for hospitals and stuff like that. You can find that online. You can find Gorilla Brave, which is a group of food entrepreneurs that we are putting together that see the world in the way that I'm talking about. We are leading in the altruistic way. There are I'm not the only one who has this vision or sees sure. the way, especially if you've been in food from a young age and you're about... 40 some years old or late thirties and been in the food game or your family's been in the food game your whole life, you start, you really start to see what's happening. So there's that, uh, again, Foodtopia. And then I have the podcast, which I have many, but the main one is just in the food entrepreneurs. So you can find all of those online by typing it in, but you can also find, um, access to those by just following my Instagram at Justin Bizarro. Yeah, and we'll we'll include all the links to all this good stuff in the in the show notes so that it's you don't yeah. have to try to type and listen at the same time <laughs> while you're driving. Yeah, and I'm a <laughs> based human, like I build relationships, uh, you know, so it's more about building relationships. So anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to you and give you my time and and communicate and whatever who who's out there and thing is not necessarily advertising and marketing um as much as it is you know, building relationships, relationship development, and then managing those relationships and being honest and open and uh, vulnerable and authentic in those relationships. So, and caring about people. And so many people are just a quick dollar, you know? So yep. that's where you can find me. You can find me doing some business somewhere. It's hard <laughs> to keep track of them. All right. Well, 
I I appreciate you. We appreciate you for uh, for, for coming on and volunteering to do this with us. It's very insightful. I think our listeners will enjoy this a lot. We've had some fitness people on here and other yeah. restaurateurs on here, so it's definitely aligning with with the audience. So yeah, we appreciate you yeah, big time, absolutely. and I believe we are going to have to invite you back. Definitely. <laughs> I'm always up for part twos. That's why I do part twos on mine. It's got to be a continuing story, not just yeah. a snapshot. That's right. Yep. All Can't right. hit it all in one, but <laughs> we're going to try for part two. But no, but seriously, thank you so much for coming on. And I've enjoyed all of our conversations. I know Rush just said he did too. So we can't thank you enough. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I appreciate you guys doing this and giving everyone a voice. It's really important in the world. So oh, I appreciate yeah. If you have any other suggestions for guests, we're all ears too. Yes, I <laughs> and some people your way for sure. Awesome. That was a good one. Yes. Insights into the food industry and entrepreneurship is always fun. Don't don't look at me funny. I don't know you said that right. Entrepreneurship? That's a hardship? It's hard to say. It's a stupid English word. They should redo it. No, that's a good one. <laughs> no, but I feel like it's things that you and I talk about all the time. Yes. Like the especially when we had our daughter, I feel like we became more aware of what we were feeding her, right? Yes. Like understanding that fruits and vegetables should be included in every meal. And not just fruits and vegetables, but all kinds of fruits and vegetables. Right. Just because you ate a tomato, that's not Good. Or you eat a tomato every day. The point is that I think Justin was making is to di- diversify your diet. Yes. And include many different types. Yeah. And it's crazy, too, how when you eat a cow that has been pasture grazed, you gain the nutrients that they receive from eating grass and stuff. Right. To an extent, like Justin said, well, because they're digesting it in a way that we never could. Yeah. We can't eat grass. Right. We would get blockages we would throw up i mean it could probably kill you if you ate grass like a cow did right cow (laughs) words yeah but he it was a very good episode just make sure you check out his links in the show notes and he's got a multiple podcast and i want him back oh yeah he'll be back for sure we will definitely invite him back to the show shortly love you Thanks for listening to the Unholy Union Podcast. For more Unholy Union content, check out our social media at Unholy Union Cast on Instagram and Twitter. We also have Facebook and TikTok. Want to support the podcast? Rock some merch. Check out our merchandise store on our site at unholyunionpodcast.com. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. It's what you do with things you love.